The children can now be dismissed for children's church for those families that desire that. For the rest of us, please open up your copy of God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We carry on in our exposition of this glorious letter. Our sermon series is Guarding the Gospel in a Godless World. And in this fallen world, ravaged by sin and brokenness, we see all around us great confusion, don't we? This might be the most confused time in the history of humanity. It's so troubling. It's so disturbing. People are confused about who they are, even what they are. They're confused about what they should be and do in this world. It's sad. It's disturbing. But one of the most beautiful things to watch develop and to come to fruitfulness is to see a young person that comes alive to the reality of who they really are. Their identity, their family, their calling. And of course, that is only in the glorious gift of spiritual birth and coming alive to the Gospel, coming alive to Christ. Then and then only do they know who they are. They know their identity. They know their essence and they know their action that they've been called to live in this world for Christ. They, they come alive to the God-given gifts that they have and their calling, their vocation. It's a beautiful thing. Well, the Apostle Paul has watched this same miracle take place in the life of his spiritual son, Timothy, his young protege. Remember, Timothy heard Paul preach the Gospel when he was just a young lad, and he was saved. His heart was opened up to the Gospel and to Christ. He came alive, and Paul discipled Timothy, and he raised him up, and he laid hands upon him. And Timothy came alive to his God-given gifts to to be a minister of the Gospel. He was trained and ordained and sent forth to pastor the church in Ephesus. And now Paul, he's writing this last letter, and it's the letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. And we, re- we really need to remember just how deeply significant and profound this letter is, how personal it is. Paul is facing martyrdom. He's in the bottom of a Roman uh, dungeon, and he's facing execution for preaching the gospel of God, but he still has so much to say to Timothy, and yet so little time to say it. So this letter, it's, it's distilled. The, the words are so dense with instruction and warning and encouragement. He's telling Timothy about the dangers that he faces in this world as he ministers the gospel. Well, you know, as I Sent my oldest daughter off to college in the fall. I got a little taste of this. You know, right there at the end when we dropped her off alone in this big broken world. You know, you choose your words carefully and and you don't just say goodbye, but you say something poignantly, something intentional you want to share with them before you leave. How much more for Paul is he sharing with Timothy here at the end? Remember, he warns Timothy that he will face various trials and and sufferings for serving the Lord, for preaching the gospel. Indeed, hallelujah, the gospel has been 
poured out at Pentecost. The, the, the power of Christ has come by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the church has exploded and grown and spread. But along with that has, has come persecution, tremendous persecution. And the apostles, they're being picked off one by one in martyrdom. It's perilous times with more to come. They'll continue to grow in intensity as people seek to turn away from the truth and turn to living for sin and self more and more. And sadly, even from within the church, there will rise up wolves in sheep's clothing to seek to lead the sheep away from Christ. But hallelujah! Paul's emphasis here to Timothy is this might be the end of the apostolic ministry, but it's not the end of the apostolic message. For the Gospel goes forth. God is glorified. His church is gathered. So let's hear God's Word together. We're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-19 to for context, but our, our sermon is 14-19. to Let's hear God's Word. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in My Gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the, the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The Word of the Lord. May He write it upon our hearts. Well, this brings us to our first main point this morning. Timothy is called to remember the Gospel so he can remind the sheep as a faithful minister. That's what we see in verses 14 and 15. Remember these things. Even as Paul writes these things, he's remembering the Gospel because he must desperately remember the Gospel truths because he's facing death. He's in the midst of suffering. Paul has to remember the glory of God's grace in Christ. That for Paul, the blood and righteousness of Jesus poured out on the cross, or for him, for his salvation, that his sins are forgiven in Christ. That Paul's guilt was taken away. That God's just wrath was exhausted and justified in Christ's passion for Paul. 
And hallelujah, by the gift of faith in the Holy Spirit, Paul is justified in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And now from the heavenly throne room, Christ the King, He intercedes for Paul, even as He intercedes for Timothy too. And so Paul says to Timothy, remember the Gospel. You must remember the Gospel in order to remind yourself of the Gospel. You must remember the Gospel in order to remind the flock of the Gospel. Timothy, you must be strong in the grace of Christ. You must be strong in the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can stand up under the persecution and serve the bride of Christ. Well, remember Timothy. Remember these truths. Christ Jesus, the King of kings, He has come. And He has accomplished redemption by His glorious work so that the truth of the Gospel has come with the King and it has broken in to the hearts and souls and minds of God's people even in this present darkness. The kingdom has come in the hearts of God's people because of Christ and the Spirit. Remind them of these things. The glorious truths of the Gospel. He exhorts Timothy as a faithful minister to remind the church. And in order to do this, the heart of his ministry must be shaped by the true manner of a minister, the true method of a minister, and the true mark of a minister. That's what Paul is pleading with Timothy to do and to be. You see, Paul's not just concerned about Timothy and his faithfulness, but also what will happen through his service. He's concerned about the church at large. Timothy's faithfulness has a direct impact upon the church and even the world. So, in order to faithfully remind the sheep of the Gospel, what is this manner of the faithful minister? Well, he's alive in Christ. He's a thoroughly converted man. He is keeping watch over the doctrine, the, the Word of truth that has been given to him by Paul to then give to the church. He passes it along. The manner of this faithful minister is also to be sober-minded. He rightly discerns the reality of the dark days in which he lives. He's diligent, he's watchful, he's serious, he's spirit-filled, he's about the business of prayer and praise that he might fan into flames the gift of the Holy Spirit and walk by faith and repentance, looking to Christ alone, the only way of salvation. This is the faithful manner. But what's the faithful method of a faithful minister? Well, in order to remind the sheep of the Gospel and the call to call everyone to Christ, to call everyone into the kingdom, Timothy must be diligent. He must be a faithful, hard-working preacher. You see, preaching is the primary method to call people to Christ and to remind the sheep of the Gospel. That's the method of the faithful minister. And Paul's already told Timothy this in his first letter. He writes this to him, "...devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture." to exhortation, to teaching, to preaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is what 
Paul is exhorting Timothy to do and to be. He says, preach it, be a preacher. Right here in verse 15, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. For Timothy to be a faithful minister, one that labors faithfully unto the Lord without shame, he must obey God rather than men. He must seek the approval of God rather than the approval of men. So he must work hard at faithfully preaching the gospel. Even though the world views preaching as foolishness, but it's God's primary method for spreading the gospel. He's made a special promise to come upon faithful preaching as we read in Romans chapter 10 to bless it. But sadly, brothers and sisters, so many churches have given this up. They say that the Word is boring and it's irrelevant and preaching is so old-fashioned, so they reject God's primary method for gathering and feeding the flock for worldly methods. And you know what I'm talking about. But not the faithful minister. He diligently works, rightly dividing the Word, taking what has been given to him and passing it along in purity and truth. You know, I heard the great preacher John MacArthur say one time at a Ligonier conference, he said, the minister's primary calling is preaching the Word of God, and as he does that faithfully, he's an awful lot like a faithful waiter. His job is just to get the food from the kitchen to the table without messing it up. Well, how do you do that? Well, the Greek word right here in verse 15, it brings forth a farm imagery. To rightly divide the word means to cut a straight row, a straight furrow. The great church father, John Chrysostom, he declared that ministers of the gospel ought to plow a straight furrow through the Word of God so that they are not going on the left or the right, but they're going straight down the middle. That's what Paul's telling Timothy here. You're to plow a straight row through the Word of God evenly, orderly, so that the church is blessed. You see how important this is. Some of you know that I've enjoyed over the last decade or so gardening. I'm, I'm somewhat of a hobby farmer. And it's been comical at times, believe me. But I've learned a lot. And one of those times is when I decided to buy myself an old-fashioned two-bottom plow. I thought, I really want to plow a field. I want to try this out. So I found this perfectly good old plow and Somehow got it home from Gainesville without killing myself. And I was so excited to, to hook it up to the tractor and go plow a field. But as I was working on it, I thought, man, I, I can't make sense of this. It doesn't seem to fit. What in the world am I doing? And that's when my good, dear brother Dan, Dan the man, came over. He helped me. He's an amazing mechanic. He's got an engineer's mind and a farming background, and he came over to help me. And within a few minutes of analyzing this perfectly good plow, he said, your problem is your setup. It's upside down and backwards. You can't plow with this thing. So with a few tools and working on it, he had the thing set up right and attached to the tractor and adjusted a few practice runs. And lo and behold, I was cutting a straight road through the field. It was awesome. 
the right depth, evenly spaced. Do you see, this is what Paul's charging Timothy with. He says, you're no good to the church if you're plowing with the Word and you don't know what you're doing and you're all over the place and you're messing up the field and you're messing up the church and you're doing damage. No. You must work hard. You must be diligent. You must rightly divide the Word so that the church can be blessed. But sadly, brothers and sisters, the church is largely plagued today by untrained men communicating a distorted gospel and it's wreaking havoc upon the church. This is absolutely why it's so important that a man is given gifts from the Lord that are recognized in the church by elders and then developed and and this man is trained through faithful seminary. The labors of the church. He's taught how to rightly divide the Word. He's taught the Bible. He's taught theology. He's taught church history. He's given a, an understanding of the original languages. And he's taught and trained in hermeneutics. And that's the, the discipline of interpreting the text and drawing forth the, the clear, plain meaning of the Word of God so that he can handle it, so that he can show it forth in its right context. He can show it forth within the historical context and and the redemptive context. Where is Jesus in this text? Where is that, that scarlet thread of atonement in this text? Where's the promise of God in this text? Where is the rainbow of grace? And then and only then is it applied to the heart. See, this is what we're to be about as faithful ministers. I ask you, would you lay down on a surgeon's table and allow a person with no real training to cut open your head or your heart and perform surgery? Of course you wouldn't. So why would the church allow untrained men to preach and teach the Bible to influence our eternal souls? So Paul is being very clear. He says, Timothy, this is your top priority. This is your highest calling. You must take the time and labor and study and pray and guard the gospel and protect the gospel and preserve it and pass it along in preaching. And as you do that, you'll leave your mark because God will leave His mark. So what's the mark of the faithful minister? Well, by God's grace alone, to the glory of God alone, as the Gospels faithfully preach the Lord, He gathers His flock and He builds His kingdom. And the mark of a faithful minister is the mark of humility as He relies upon the Lord alone to do this. He looks to the Lord. You see, Timothy will struggle and he will fumble and he will make many mistakes as he labors to preach the gospel. He will fail often, but Paul is saying, Timothy, you won't be perfect in your work, but you're looking to the perfect one with a clear conscience, with gratitude in your heart. You labor with a clear conscience to preach and teach, and God will bring forth the fruit And as that takes place, you will leave your mark on the hearts of others because you point them to Jesus and His mark is left in them. So how do we apply this? I ask you, brothers and sisters, how do you remember the gospel? Are you taking full advantage of God's outward means of grace on the Lord's day, especially the preaching? 
for the blessing of your life, your heart, your soul, your family. It'd be good to read Westminster Larger Catechism, question 155, if you want to know what the church thinks about the Lord's Day and receiving God's grace and the importance of preaching, to meditate on that truth. Because as we sit under faithful preaching, we're not only built up by God's Word and Spirit, but we are protected and made wise in the Lord so that we can reject the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that brings us to our second main point this morning. Timothy is called to remember the gospel so he can resist the wolves and warn the sheep. That's what we see at the end of verse 14 and verses 16 to 18. Paul says, Warn the sheep not to quarrel about theological debates that are not essential. You know, there's a wrong time and a wrong way to battle over words, theological disputes. You know, we've all met people that just seem to love arguing. And it's almost like they don't even care what the point of the argument is. They just enjoy the sword play with words. And sadly, there are a lot of those kinds of people in the church. Have you noticed? They argue about any little theological nuisance, or a nuance rather. But you know, I don't think it really matters that we know for sure exactly how many liters of water the great labor in the Old Testament temple could hold. I mean, the point is that the Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of the labor. He's the one that washes us clean so we can come into the Holy of Holies. But you see, Paul is not telling Timothy not to argue and defend the Word of God in the essential doctrines, the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, what we call first-level doctrines. He's not telling Timothy not to to defend the gospel truth of redemption or justification or the resurrection. But you see, when theological arguments become more about our pride than contending for the essential truths of the faith, they quickly become unfruitful fights that do damage to the body of Christ. Just think about all the crazy, angry, unnecessary arguments taking place right now on social media by so-called theological experts. And much of this is the product of sinful pride, and it leads people away from Christ, not to Christ. But there is a time to battle about words, to avoid irreverent babbling. Don't let it even stand, says Paul. Paul says, Timothy, warn the sheep to reject false teaching that leads people to blaspheme. Verse 16, and here we have to remember that Timothy's the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And we have to remember that in Acts chapter 20, at the conclusion of Paul's third missionary journey as he's heading back to Jerusalem, he meets with the Ephesian elders on the beach at Miletus. He served these men in this church three years faithfully. And with tears in his eyes, knowing that he would never see them again, this is what Paul tells the Ephesian elders. Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. 
Well, you see, Paul's prophecy was coming true right in the midst of Timothy's ministry in Ephesus. False teachers had risen up in the midst of the church, teaching heresy, even claiming that the resurrection had already taken place in the past. Now, we don't know the actual extent of this heresy, but they were teaching a lie that was damaging the church. They were saying that the resurrection had happened, spiritually speaking, in the past, so that the material world, including the human body, didn't matter anymore for believers, so that you could do whatever you want with your body. Now, you can see how this would be so damaging You can imagine all the sinful perversion that could flow from such a view. Well, indeed, believers are, in a sense, already raised spiritually from the dead because we've been given new life in Christ. We've been united to Jesus by the Holy Spirit, but we have not yet been physically raised from the dead. It'll really happen. Christ promised. He's the first fruits of the resurrection the physical resurrection. It's a real event coming in the future. And what we do in the here and the now with our physical bodies really matters because we're called to live lives of honor and obedience and dignity. Not to use our physical bodies as instruments for sin, but for righteousness. And so Paul warns Timothy to warn the sheep, this is irreverent babbling that leads to ungodliness. Now we have to remember, brothers and sisters, that the greatest threat to the church is not one that rises up out there and then attacks us. The greatest threat to the church is when a wolf in sheep's clothing rises up inside of the church and teaches heresy. An unfaithful minister who does not preach the word of life but preaches a message of darkness and death. That's the greatest threat to the church. And you know, it was probably 25 or 30 years ago that men began to preach what they called carnal Christianity in the evangelical churches here in the United States. If you're old enough, perhaps you remember that. They taught that Jesus could be your Savior and you were saved, but not necessarily your Lord so that you could deny His Lordship over your life. Well, that's irreverent babbling that leads to ungodliness. You know what else is irreverent babbling leading to ungodliness? Telling Christians that they can identify with their sin. That they can be named by their sin instead of Christ alone. Telling people that there are some sins that the Holy Spirit cannot mortify in the gospel This is irreverent babbling that leads to ungodliness. Such things are even in our denomination today, sadly. So elders and brothers and sisters, pay careful attention to what you hear. Guard the purity of the gospel. Protect this pulpit because it matters for blessing and cursing. Because as Paul tells Timothy, false teaching spreads like a virus and produces ungodly thinking and living 
That's what we see in verses 17 and 18, the horrible, terrible example of Hymenaeus and, and Philetus. This is horrible. This illustration of gangrene, it's so vivid, it's so horrible. This is what happens with false teaching. So Paul names them. He exposes their faithlessness, their heretics. You see, bad teaching leads to bad thinking, leads to bad living, leads people away from Christ. Well, Paul has already warned Timothy in his first letter about this. He says, Timothy, my son, you fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. How powerful. And what a powerful illustration here Paul uses to show the dangers of this. You see, the evil and the poison that spreads through a congregation when false teaching is put on a platform and replaces true preaching is devastating. It's like gangrene. It it spreads from the infected parts of the body to the healthy parts of the body and it brings rottenness and death. Paul calls out these men as liars, as blasphemers who abandon the truth. And he says, guard yourself against such men. Warn the church, Timothy. Well, how do we apply this? We see the head and the heart. They're linked together and expressed in a person's life. And prideful arguing and quarreling and entertaining false teaching, that is exemplified in fruitless and perverse living is poison to the visible church. We have to see this. We must stay focused upon Christ. The essential truths of the Christian faith. We must hold firm to the promises of God. Because you see, a a person's head, what they believe, and a person's heart, what they love, they're linked together and they're expressed in their lives. So stay clear of the godless and reject false teaching. And as we do that, Paul says, look to the rock of ages. Hold fast to the promise of Christ. And that's bringing us to our final thought this morning. Timothy is called to remember God's gospel foundation sealed by promise. Verse 19, he says something very interesting here. It's really a double comfort, but it, but it comes... At the end, like a warning, doesn't it? But you see, for those in Christ, these words are a glorious promise. Paul declares, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. Paul loves that word seal. Sfragiza. The seal of the Spirit. The seal of Christ. The seal of salvation. The seal of the promise in the hearts of believers. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You see, brothers and sisters, the Redeemer always remembers His sheep. 
This is such good news. The Lord knows His sheep. The Redeemer always remembers His sheep, united to them by His love. Paul says, God is in control, Timothy. Don't worry, Timothy. The attacks of the unfaithful, godless, faithless teachers, the false teachers, they can't thwart the will of Almighty God. They can't thwart His plan. He's sovereign. He's in control. The Lord's elect ones in Christ will hear the gospel. They will be saved. They will be sanctified. The gates of hell shall not prevail against Christ and His bride. Hallelujah. The Lord has emblazoned. He has sealed upon the foundation of His church, His people. I know you. You are mine forever and ever. In Christ, you've been foreknown, you've been foreloved before the foundation of the world. This is such good news. Brothers and sisters, don't ever ask yourself the question, am I elect? That's the wrong question. But ask yourself the question, do I love Jesus Christ, the elect one? If you do, then hallelujah, praise the Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God the Father in Christ Jesus This is great news. It's astounding comfort. Your sin can't separate you from the love of God the Father in Christ. And the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil cannot separate you from the love of God the Father in Christ Jesus. So don't worry, Paul says to Timothy. God will bring about His holy will and the salvation of His people. The preservation of the saints is a reality because they are in Christ For known and for love forever and ever, the Lord Jesus, He knows His sheep. He calls them by name. They hear His voice and they come. And because of this, because He knows us and calls us by His amazing grace, we can run the Christian life because we are resting in the Redeemer. That's what we see. Paul says the redeemed ultimately rest upon the rock and live lives of reformation. This is such good news. Let everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It's our duty to separate ourselves from those things that God hates. To separate ourselves from those things that defile us that God sent His Son forth to die on the cross for. So you see, this is personal. It's personal for Jesus. It's personal for us. It's personal to the Lord and to His sheep. Christ's wounds are personal. And I hope as we move into Holy Week and head towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday that that this is true for you. It's personal. You see, brothers and sisters, it was our iniquity that put Him on the cross of shame. And it was His great love for us that that held him there for our salvation. It's personal. So how can we continue to hold on to our sin, which brings death and which Christ died for? Paul says, may it never be. We're called to holiness in light of God's amazing gift of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he intercedes for us now, even now. And upholds us by the word of His power and the power of His Holy Spirit as He transforms us by His grace day by day by day. So we look to the Savior. We remember we believe. 
We rejoice in the gospel. We live our lives by faith and repentance. And as we do that, we enjoy the fruit of always being reformed and refined. Until that glorious day, standing upon the rock of ages, we see our Savior face to face. And we are made like Him. Brothers and sisters, we know who we are. We know what we are in this world. We are the precious possession of Christ. And we know where we are going. We'll share this truth with the world around us in love. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Almighty, we worship you and we praise you. We thank you so much for the gospel, for the glorious Good news that the kingdom of God has come in Christ Jesus, our Savior, and that our King dwells even in our hearts now by faith in the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, please encourage us with these truths. As we head into Holy Week, oh Lord, make us a people that are filled with joy, gospel joy, as we point others to the Savior and protect us from the evil one. Protect us from false teaching. Protect the church from lies. And oh Lord, help us to shine bright, reflecting your glory. We thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We pray it all in Christ's precious name. Amen.